Well, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank? Did you know the Bill Clinton impeachment wasn't about trust? It was about sex? Hello and welcome again to Michael and Us, a dreary tour through the cinema, the art, the television of Michael Moore. I'm Will Sloan. With me? I'm Luke Savage. I like that we're left with dreary uh, <laughs> because I think that, you know, with each episode you've kind of modified the adjectives. But uh, at this point, if that's what we're going to... Uh, I think that's what we're left with. Yeah. Uh, this week, <laughs> you know, we've been going roughly chronologically for the most part, but we doubled back a bit and checked out Michael Moore's second television show, The Awful Truth. We would have done his first show, TV Nation, but we can't find it. Yeah, it's a little too obscure, I think. And, you know, it's like we're not archaeologists. Cut us some slack, guys. Next week, we might look at season two. This Mm -hmm. week, we looked at the first four episodes of season one. But first, before we get to that, what's been going on in the world of Michael Moore? Oh, my God. Well, uh... He's everywhere these days. And I don't know, maybe he's always everywhere, but we're only just noticing now because we're in the Michael Moore business. Yeah, well, I mean, the the Michael Moore... uh you know, post-relevancy tour is continued. <laughs> and uh, got in front of me here a Daily Beast article, which I think sort of builds on the themes that we've been uh, exploring the past few weeks. In previous weeks, we've talked about uh, his classic open letter to Ivanka Trump. Uh, we wrote about his classic plea for um, Donald Trump to get help. He wrote about how Donald Trump is purposely trying to sabotage his campaign. What's this Daily Beast article? All right, so uh, we got the headline here, uh, Michael Moore to Seth Meyers, so you know it's going to be good. Okay. Michael Moore to Seth Meyers, I got played by Donald Trump. On late night... I got played by Donald Trump. That's right. Yeah. On, on late night, Michael Moore tells the bizarre story about the first time he met Donald Trump. Filmmaker Michael Moore visited late night with Seth Meyers on Monday night, and he spent most of the time talking about the first time he met Donald Trump. The year was 1998. That's the year that The Awful Truth uh, Season 1 aired. The year was 1998, and both Moore and Trump were guests on Roseanne Barr's short-lived syndicated talk show. As Moore told Myers, the producer came up to him in a green room before the show and told him Trump was really nervous about him being on the show and was threatening to leave before the taping. They asked Moore to try to reason with him and get him to stay. So I walk over to him, and I said, Mr. Trump, it's Michael Moore. And I shook his hand, and it's all clammy. Before Myers could ask, Moore added, I don't remember the size of his hand. (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff. Trump was understandably worried that because he was a big corporate guy and Moore was behind the documentary Roger and Me, they would be forced to mix it up. At the time, apparently, Trump wasn't up for on-air conflict. I'm having to talk him off the ledge from this, Moore said. You know... Grow some gonads here. (laughs) Because of their conversation, Moore was much nicer to Trump at the show than he otherwise would have been, and it was only years later that he realized he'd been played. He explained, I felt sorry for him, and the hands were so wet. When the Daily Beast interviewed Roseanne Barr this summer, she too recalled bringing Moore and Trump together, and she claimed she was the one who told him, you should run for president after watching him on her show. He was extremely progressive. He kept saying we should invest more in education and we need health care. He said all the things that Hillary said. <laughs> God damn it. She had of 1998 Trump. That's why I know that it's just a con. The whole fucking thing. It's a scam, a con, and it's rigged. If all that was true, 
Trump probably didn't have as much to worry about from Moore as he thought he did. Uh, Ace, it- Ace Journalism from the Daily Beast. They're my favorite uh, publication where I get all of my takes on the uh, events of the day. Uh, I'm sensing a little sarcasm there. No. Uh, yeah, no, I, it's a good article. Uh, I, you know, it's it's. I, I tried to find the clip of Michael Moore and Donald Trump, uh, the Frost Nixon of our day, but I couldn't find it. Before our podcast started, uh, Michael Moore had another well-publicized run-in with Donald Trump where he, you remember he had this social media campaign where he would stand outside the Trump Tower with a big sign that said, we are all Muslim. Oh, God. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, Which, I don't know if it went quite viral, but it was, um, you know... (laughs) Pretty good stuff. (laughs) Moore has also uh, poked his head into this election cycle again because he was on the hit TV show. I believe it's called Brain Dead. Mm -hmm. Is that what it's called? I have no idea. Where he had a sex scene with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. (laughs) Right, right. Which I haven't seen that, but that sounds kind of funny. (laughs) Now, is this true? You have a, a, it's an amazing cast, but in the show, you have a sex scene with Michael Moore. Yeah. The documentary filmmaker Michael Moore. Yeah, that happened. How I'm was listening. <laughs> How was that? It was, you know what, he was such a good sport. It's like this kind of fantasy. That's not what I thought you were going to say. Slash. He was such a good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like this, like, it's like a fantasy slash, like, nightmare scenario on the right. show. Like, it didn't really happen, but this one character thinks that it happened, so he keeps imagining me and Michael Moore together. And we recreated um, this flashback scene from Eyes Wide Shut, like yeah. shot for shot. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and like the exact same like blue tinged lighting and stuff. And, right. and um, so yeah, so Michael Moore showed up, and he was a big fan of the show, and he was super game. But I felt so bad. I mean, you know, it's not ever fun. You think it's going to be fun to shoot a sex scene, but it's really not. You know, two hours into it, and we're both like sweating, and like it's just like Sounds it was awesome. an experience. <laughs> <laughs> We're both like sweating and like two hours around sweating and skin to skin touching. It's painful, sure. painful. Yeah, I mean, uh, you sent me a link to that earlier in the week, and uh, I thought it must be like a joke, like something like a click article, but then I watched it, and it's obviously not a joke, so I would... I mean, if, if anyone wants to mail us at uh, Michael and us stop PO <laughs> box, uh, you know, uh, I would be very uh, keen to see that. But, yeah. um, but these two incidents were not Moore's first time on television. He did a show called The Awful Truth, which is sort of... I would describe it as kind of like a proto-Ali G prank show. Mm-hmm. Imagine uh, Ali G, but with more of a social conscience. It ran on Bravo and I think maybe the BBC or Channel 4. In the, he addresses in British audiences in it, so yeah. It was widely available on DVD sort of in the Bowling for Columbine heyday, which is when I first saw it. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a teenager and I was watching The Awful Truth, watching these hilarious pranks that he would do on it, just thinking, like, this guy is so awesome. What a, what a truth teller. This guy is so cool. And in fact, this was one of the easier, more products for us to illegally download. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we we illegally downloaded this first of all because a uh, neither of us wanted to spend the eight dollars it would take to buy a used DVD no. of it, and b I th- Moore has said that he doesn't believe in copyright laws and he wants the information out there. So 
You That's know. right. So these two gigs were free from uh, PirateBay.com. Oh, they're great. I love that. Uh, they're great. And I love that <laughs> like, every week when I go to them, it's like they've been shut down and they've had to create a new URL and uh, they can't be uh, defeated. So, you know, what I liked about this one is, you know, I found it and um, in the process of finding it, there was a comment thread underneath the torrent, which for, was from 2007. Oh, I love those. I love to I love to read about race science on the Pirate Bay comment threads. Race science, political correctness, all your favorite topics, feminism, it's all there. Welfare bombs. Yeah. So, you know, there were these wonderfully dated comments on this. I think there was only one seeder, but they were obviously still seeding. <laughs> and uh, so I managed to snatch it from whoever they were. But this had obviously been like a really big torrent back in the day. Like a good, like, you know, <laughs> nine or ten years ago. And so, you know, we got a variety of comments there, uh, Will. Why don't you just read the first one and uh, tell us what it says. Uh, first of all, Student82 on uh, January 5th, 2007, uh, which is my birthday, actually. Oh, nice. Uh, says, this is very good. Followed by Mr. Japan, uh, also on January 5th, 2007, who says, MM is such a bullshitting retard. Anyone that believes the crap he says should be shot and then hung. So, uh, Kipura responds... At Mr. Japan, I concur. Anarchist. With a K. With a K, spelt wrong. He responds, this is good shit. Mr. Japan, fuck off, you retard. Uh, to which uh, a fourth interlocutor uh, <laughs> tonight responds. A full, a full five months later, by the way. Yeah, yeah, don't believe in fat people. To which, you know, yet another truth teller, Alk, responds, the world sucks ass. Thank you, great upload. So and, and you would think that that's where it would end, but no. I, on July 17th, <laughs> uh, Cub91 <laughs> said, someone got full DVDs of this show. To which... FS12 on December 31st, 2007, so New Year's Eve, at, uh, at in the afternoon, probably preparing for the party he was going to yeah. later, yeah. Uh, decided to return to the once dormant Mr. Japan fight and said, Mr. Japan, MM is such a bullshitting retard. Anyone believes that... Oh, sorry, sorry. He's quoting Mr. He's Japan. He's quoting Mr. Japan, yeah. Anyone believes that should be shot then hung. And then he says, Mr. Japan, I know that your ancestors had problem controlling their regret. That's why Hiroshi... Oh, sorry. I'm not reading the rest of this. <laughs> the re you this, get the idea. This is really bad. It's a little problematic. And then... Um, <laughs> And then uh, five months later, Politikill says, which one is more treasonous, Scott Fry, 1988? <laughs> Michael Moore expressing his opinion and exercising his rights or saying that he should be put in prison for or, doing or, so? Or, or you saying he should yeah. be, yeah. And you quote more or less? That doesn't even make sense. It's either a quote or it's not a quote. I think we're maybe we're missing a few comments here. This seems the debate seems to have evolved. I think maybe these are the most popular comments. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, he's a filmmaker. If you don't like what he has to say, guess what? You have the right to not watch his films or read his books. Amazing, huh? And if you I said blah blah blah. Really, he's political. Is very uh, offended by this by Mr. Japan on the Pirate Bay comment section saying <laughs> that people should be shot and hung for liking Michael Moore. It was inspiring for me to read those comments. I, I mean, this is the sound of democracy in a way. Just you know, spirited debate, getting getting together and just hashing over our our issues. In the beginning, there was a free press. Well, not really, but it sounded good. By the end of the millennium, five men controlled the world's media. But only one of them was the Antichrist. 
Yet there was one man who operated outside their control. He and his motley crew were known as the People's Democratic Republic of Television. Their mission? To bring the people the awful truth. Tonight, from somewhere inside the PDR-TV, please welcome Michael Moore! I confess the sort of first 20 minutes of the awful i mean so i was sort of i vaguely was aware this existed but um i had never seen it before and the first 20 minutes of it i found pretty grating i have to say mm -hmm. um it you know it came out it was the you know bill clinton impeachment trial and this was a time where i guess a kind of progressive position for michael moore is like kind of trying to delegitimize the idea of the Bill Clinton impeachment trial. So the first gimmick, <coughs> each episode revolves around kind of a gimmick. And the first one was like sort of uncovering the philandering uh, ways of various GOP figures who are criticizing, you know, uh, William Jefferson Clinton on sort of puritanical grounds. But I, di I didn't think this was very effective. I thought it was pretty fast. Yeah, so, so the... On the first episode, the big opening gambit is that he has a bunch of actors dressed as Puritans, like, uh, you know, old-time Puritans, basically doing a literal witch hunt, like it was Salem. Yeah. Uh, and they do it on um, Ken Starr's front lawn while yeah. he's going to his car, and and they ambush congressmen in the hallways. You know, we, we even see Newt Gingrich's office, them going to Newt Gingrich's office. I loved the young Newt Gingrich we saw there. Yeah. He's... I mean, at that point, he was already old. It's like late 90s. But in our generation, he's like a fossil. Mm. But he looked so young and kind of, uh, you know, spry. It was amazing. For over a year, our national agenda has been sidelined by special prosecutor Ken Starr. Everywhere we looked, sex, 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 sex. There's absolutely nothing on the evening news but Monica Lewinsky. And what single fact did this multi-year, $50 million investigation uncover? <laughs> that middle-aged men have affairs with younger women. $50 million for that? I could have told you that for 50 bucks. Judge Starr, Judge Starr, Judge Starr, I think I found a cheaper way to conduct a witch hunt. Pornographer, titillator, smart peddler, lawyer. Tool of Beelzebub! You are a tool of Satan, sir! I see him! You have roiled the loins of a nation! Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it's not facile. Uh, I, I gotta say, in general, we watched the first four episodes of The Awful Truth. I didn't hate it. Uh, great parts of it I actually kind of liked. Yeah. And this opening bit with the Puritans... Um, you know, I'm not going to make any great claims for it, except that I enjoy watching Republican congressmen get ambushed and, and embarrassed in the hall. Sure. Um, but, I mean, aside from that, I think uh, Michael Moore kind of standing up for Bill Clinton. Yeah, it's, I think yeah. I just I just think the fact that he thought that that was a that that was a good position to take, I think is pretty rubbish. It's like, I don't know, like if if your position is that the Bill Clinton impeachment trial is kind of a waste of time and uh, you want to delegitimize it, then it's an it's like a, it's not a constructive response to be like, as Michael Moore does throughout this episode, like, ooh, middle-aged men, they cheat on their wives. What's the big deal? Like, yeah. you know, don't do that. Like, talk about other stuff. Talk about, talk about your actual issues. 
So, I don't know, this first episode especially felt really dated to me. I thought the other ones were more uh, effective. The Let- second segment of the first episode, though, I think is quite strong. Maybe right? the strongest one we saw, mm-hmm. which was kind of uh, a rough draft of Sicko, almost. Yeah. We see this guy who, if he doesn't get a pancreas transplant, he's going to die, and he's got two kids. Uh, but his HMO is refusing to cover the pancreas transplant. So Michael Moore goes to the HMO and uh, basically keeps harassing this PR flunky on and on. And he, and he gets quite, I think, about as viciously sarcastic as we've seen Michael Moore in yeah. one of these little stunts, basically saying, well, we're going to come here every day if you don't get him a pancreas. You know, we won't take no for an answer. I understand that. I signed with Humana and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. But no pancreas. You know, we won't take no for an answer. I understand that. It's pretty clear. You know, we're not going to stop until you guys let him live. It's that simple. We're going to be all over you, man. If we could, I think we've got some room here. Are we going to... Your name again is Greg Donalds. Greg? Are you? We're taking this elevator or are we not taking this elevator? This is Greg Donaldson from Corporate Communications here at Humana. He'll be with us for the rest of our series around the awful truth as we follow his efforts to get to the facts of this case. Okay, so are we going to take an elevator this time? And then the stunt climaxes with them holding a, a fake funeral for the guy outside of the HMO head office. And I don't know, I think it's like we've gone after some of these stunts before as yeah. being not effective, but I think this is pretty cutting satire. Well, I think uh, this format works better in the context of like a 20-minute TV show. Like, I think we've often complained about Michael Moore's films that, you know, he has like an idea that's like basically a gimmick and then he just does it for two hours. But it works better in this format. I think also what I liked about this show is it's a little less pretentious than the movies. Mm -hmm. It's lacking the sanctimoniousness of his movies, you know. It's basically just all these little pranks that are brutally satirical Mm -hmm. and they're not meant to like pull tears from your eyes the way that some of them in the movies are. Yeah, although I have to say I find the overall format of it pretty... You know, yeah. which is that he's kind of doing stand-up comedy in front of a live studio audience. Well, I don't like that. Yeah, and then he cuts to like the show, which is pre-recorded. So you get jokes like in the second episode, which is about uh, was the second episode, right? Which is about kind of the uh, legal status of homosexuality in America. You know, the actual content of the episode is is rather good because it involves kind of like gays and lesbians, you know, making out and stuff in front of like members of the Westboro Baptist Church. Moore takes a a big bus that he's called the Sodomobile. Right. And he gets maybe 10 gay people in it and they're Mm going to go to all the states where there are still sodomy laws Mm -hmm. on the books and basically break them. Which was was a lot in the late 90s. Yeah. but in the in the kind of stand up bit before, you know, Moore is doing this whole bit where he's like, you know, the joke is basically that people say ten percent of us are gay, but I mean, you know, guys like you and I, we should hope that it's higher than that because then there's fewer women or there's fewer like men to to like usurp the women or whatever, and it's just yeah. like more women for us. Yeah, uh, it's like uh, well, it's it's sort of like. 
I, it's like yeah. Tim Allen level comedy. Like it's brutal. It, it, it really was a crossroads, wasn't it? That moment, that night, when when Monica brought Bill the the pizza. Remember from Domino's, he wanted a pepperoni supreme, and she brought it in and then showed him her thong underwear, and, and it was like, wow, that truly is the moment of decision for most guys, the pepperoni pizza or the thong, you know, and. That's right, sir. That's right. Pizza. There are a few of us guys who, when faced with a choice between a pepperoni supreme and a thong from Victoria's Secrets, we're going for the pepperoni supreme every single time. All right? Every single time. I mean, really, what he should have done is, like, done some bits about, like, going to the airport and uh, how hard it is to open the peanuts on the plane. Yeah, I mean, what is the deal with airplane food? We're still waiting. But there are some other uh, stunts in this uh, that I liked. I mean, there's that bit with the Westboro Baptist Church where he where he pulls up the automobile and all the gay people come out and start like singing show tunes. To yeah, Fred and Phelps. Fred Phelps is clearly like disturbed by it. He was not a good man. This is not a good thing he did. He's in hell now. That's what needs to be preached. You like dogs eating your own vomit. Wake up. Dogs eating their own vomit. Yeah, but they but they do that. I mean, my dog. Eats his own vomit. Fred knew a lot about dog vomit, and I wanted to hear more. But I thought it was about time Fred met my friends on the Sodomobile. Well, we brought along, you know, some of our friends who are traveling across the country. Uh, so you could talk to them. This is our Sodomobile. We'd like you to come on board. No, I'm not coming on board. You give it a shot. Here they are. No, I'm not coming on board. Got children. And then the sodomy really began. You don't want me in there. We were breaking laws that Phelps hadn't even heard about. Way to go, guys. Way to go. I mean, it's it's pretty simplistic. Uh, oftentimes, I think that we as a culture paid Fred Phelps a bit too much attention. But, I mean, this was shortly after, you know, the Laramie Project. This mm-hmm. was sort of when Fred Phelps was first becoming a national force to the extent that he was a national force. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's sort of understandable. And, you know, I, I think one of the strengths of the show and maybe this is a really mild compliment, but there's just something sort of cathartic about seeing like bad people like Fred Phelps get embarrassed. On TV. Yeah. And I mean, I wish that network TV in the nineties, I mean, for that reason was, I mean, I wish you could display like more things on it. Like I would like to see like it's, it is really satisfying to watch like these gays and lesbians, like fuck with Fred Phelps's brain by like making out, putting tongues in each other's mouths in front of him but i would like to see it go raunchier like michael moore throws to the back of their truck uh or their like rv or whatever he's driving them around in it's invoked that they're like fooling around i would like to see them like 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 triple x in front of uh in front of fred phelps (laughs) like i would i think that like he's so disturbed by them just like making out like what if they just like what if there was like sodomy in front of fred phelps not, no, I'm not. That that, not, that would be great. This but is not a criticism. We don't of, live in a perfect world. No, they, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is not a criticism of Michael Moore. I'm just saying, um, you know, in a in a perfect, uh, you know, Panglossian world, I would like to see this remade with uh, these same people. You know, uh, like actually performing full penetrative actually, sex. Actually, actually them. having sex in front of Fred, Fred Phelps because I think. His head would explode, and then perhaps um, he would have died like a good decade earlier, which would have done a favor. That would have been nice, yeah. Yeah. Um, Have you ever heard those accounts from people who, you know, the family members who have fled, who say that 
apparently like every week all of his sermons would get into the most horrible like graphic detail about <laughs> gay sex just like he was so obsessed with like the mechanics of it or or did you read this week uh, you know somebody somebody dug up the old law journal that Mike Pence edited where it had this whole yeah. article describing all yeah. of the different kinds of sex that gay people have like fisting and <laughs> golden showers it described it as like really like really explicit language well i i love it it's like the uh the insane like trans bathroom warriors yeah where it's like they're just like thinking about this stuff in such greater detail than like anyone like any trans person actually is it's like it's like the issue is over such like a basic you know niche it's like can like people you need to use the bathroom just use it and and yet you have these like freaks like Ted Cruz and they write these like elaborate treatises mm. like discussing it in lucid detail. It's hilarious. But I do think that this um you know Michael Moore segment was pretty like I think it's pretty progressive for the time. Like yeah. I enjoyed it. I liked seeing Fred Phelps humiliated and uh, you know hearing his kind of like shitty fire and brimstone takes like interrupted by uh you know the sound of like uh gay people like slathering like kissing each other and stuff yeah. it's good and you know it's pretty banal to say but i mean it uh it really goes to show you how far we've come in the 15 years since or whatever it definitely does. i mean it, it does i mean uh i think that a segment like the fred phelps one uh was useful at the time but i think there came a point maybe around 2005 or so when it might have ceased being useful yeah absolutely like i feel like one of the problems with fred phelps as a cultural figure was just the fact that he distracted us from the people who were really the barriers to progressive action right so there's a you know so we also see in this uh, in the second episode of the awful truth this guy who was i guess the republican trent, senate, trent, senate trent majority lott. leader yeah yeah you might remember trent lott because um he he had to step down from his position because he went to strom thurmond's birthday party <laughs> Jim, and this was hugely controversial at the time and somebody recorded him saying uh well you know maybe if we'd listened to strom thurmond oh, back God. in the day we uh, wouldn't be in all the mess we're in now and if we course, if we'd kept segregation everything would be great yeah, um, uh, like pretty much he said that but Michael Moore and his and his team go to Trent Lott's house because they heard he was a cheerleader in college, so they do like gay cheerleading. <laughs> but Trent Lott is somebody who we see him interviewed talking about how, well, you know, it's a it's a pathology you have to deal with. It's like alcoholism. You gotta you have to have you have to have empathy for these. Yeah. and like that's I think more harmful or was more harmful than Fred Phelps. Well, and you know, I mean, the Fred Phelpses are the ones who are they're the like id of this kind of view, but it's the it's like these pieces of shit wearing suits like, mm-hmm. you know, that that are members of Congress or whatever that legitimize it. And, and I think Michael Moore deserves credit for including Fred Phelps and Trent Lott. Yeah, no, it's segment. it's good. But we have this very much the same problem today where people continue to draw these kind of absurd dichotomies between it's like you know, it turns out like it's like we love Paul Ryan, or like we love George Bush as like Under Secretary of Labor because he endorsed Hillary Clinton. Mm. You know, but like Trump is bad, Gingrich is bad. It's like no, it's like they're part of the same damn thing. Yeah, and it's like we should pin it on all of these pieces of shit. You know, mm. but no, I I I enjoyed. I I think I enjoyed of the four episodes we watched the, uh, you know, trolling of you know, GOP anti-gay people the most. I also enjoyed the segment where uh, Michael Moore and a bunch of smokers who had had their uh, oh, yeah. voice boxes removed. And so that, so they had the... Uh, they have their robotic 
sort of computer-generated voice. Yeah, where they go caroling at the offices of cigarette companies, and then they go... There's a pretty powerful moment, actually, where they go caroling at the office of a law firm that handles cases for the tobacco lobby, and you see the guy trying to escort them out. Uh, Not a security guard, but somebody who works at the law firm. Mm. She and I never smoked, but I was married to a lady for 47 years who smoked a couple packs a day and died of lung cancer. What about lobby money from the tobacco lobby that you're accepting? We, we do represent the tobacco interest, yes. Thank you very much. Proudly? Thank you. you. You represent them proudly? Thank you. Everybody in this country deserves representation. Even the worst criminal. Uh, we're just asking you to leave. They want you to leave. It's time to go now. Thank you so much. All right, well, let's leave on a song, okay? And you see this guy trying to escort them out, like not knowing how to react to this. Well, because they, keep, you know, keep saying like, "Well, like we do represent uh, tobacco interests, of course." But but, but... everybody deserves representation, mm. which I guess is true. But we've often complained about um, with these stunts that Michael Moore does that he goes after, you know, people like the security guards mm. or people who are basically powerless. Here's a guy who isn't top of the food chain but like he's not blameless Mm. uh he works at this law firm he's not a security guard he's somebody who has an actual job there um and and like i think he deserves this yeah no i i I agree i uh i also enjoyed those scenes you know i do think there's a certain effectiveness to this show um although you know i did feel like a lot of it was sort of michael moore's rough work you Mm -hmm. know it was like the things he did to you know kind of do field work before we made a movie then again i also felt like when this show was at its best i mean i'd never seen it before when it was at its best it kind of worked better than michael moore movies like i feel like Mm. he is kind of more suited to these one-off gimmicks because his sense of humor is not great he's not good at crafting like actual master narratives about like what's actually wrong he can't come up he Mm. He has trouble structuring, like, a two-hour movie. Yeah, and so what, you know, so when we've complained about his movies, I think we've complained about them that, you know, they're just, like, a series of sketches that doesn't, you know, they don't really establish anything. You know, and yet these 20-minute episodes, like, he's, he can contain what he's saying within, you know, uh, within the kind of short time that Mm -hmm. he has, and I think it's more rhetorically effective. Uh, Before we stop talking about this... One of the things I found interesting about this as a Moore scholar was just Moore's status in the culture at this moment. This is before Bowling for Columbine uh, and Fahrenheit 9-11 turned him into one of the most famous people in the country. But it was after it was after Roger and Me and it was after TV Nation and it was clear he had some status basically. The opening credits as we see position Michael Moore is it says something like... Um, well, five men controlled all the media in the world, but there was one man who yeah. didn't. And this was a time when Moore could still kind of get away with being the outsider. Yeah. This, uh, this sort of like guerrilla force in the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's interesting. Like Michael Moore, I don't think could do a show like this now. He, would, he just wouldn't be convincing at it. No, and I mean, I confess, like, I'm not sure how much I really buy that kind of branding at the time. Well, I mean, maybe, like, it was the 90s and, like, he was an outsider, but it still sort of feels a bit, I don't know. Disingenuous? I don't I don't know if I want to say disingenuous, because I'm not really sure I want to, like, indict him for anything, but I, I just think that 
you know, ever since, like, uh, Roger and me, he's kind of leveraged his status as an outsider, and as we've seen, like, you know, he made Roger and me, and he has this kind of, like, withering blue-collar persona, even though he was, like, the editor of Mother Jones and, like, these kind of, you know, it's... Yeah, and, and, it's, and ran an alt-weekly in Flint for ten years, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, I don't I don't know, I mean, but, I... But I, when I, you watch the show, don't you think he sort of, like, pulls it off? Yeah, I know, he does pull it off, like, I think that... This is, I, I'm just trying to make the point that I think this is very much like a brand that he's chosen. Yes. And I don't, I don't think that it's like, it's very affected and I don't think that it, uh, I don't think it's something that just kind of happened naturally, but I do think a lot of the people that we see in the studio audience and stuff would have seen it at the time and it would have thought, wow, like who is this, you know, truth telling sage mm-hmm. or whatever. And I don't think they would have recognized that it was kind of affected. And uh, I think in retrospect, we can really see that it was. Yeah. That's another thing. I think we know Michael Moore so well now at this point. Not just us, but like we as a culture that... But especially us. But especially us. Like we wouldn't be able to buy Michael Moore doing a show where he goes up to corporate headquarters and like pranks security guards and stuff anymore. And I, I think we wouldn't be able to buy it now at this point because he's so wealthy and famous right like at this time he could still get away with it because he hadn't he hadn't directed fahrenheit 9-11 yet Mm -hmm. and i think it's interesting and it just shows kind of how fragile that brand is i mean now when we see him going on talk shows with his fucking ball cap and his (laughs) his his jeans being like well you know i i didn't i met trump that one time but you know i'm just a guy from michigan right you just want to punch him in the face yeah it's like shut the hell up yeah um, You've won a Palm d'Or. <laughs> <laughs> you won an Academy Award. Yeah. You. If you gave me $50 million, uh, the FBI at my disposal, and unlimited subpoena power, I could find out something embarrassing on every single one of you here in this audience. You believe that? Huh? Anybody here ever have sex? <laughs> Anybody here ever lied about sex? Before or after? <laughs> First of all, sir, you know that guys like you can only get sex if you do lie, right? <laughs> so, uh, what are we doing next week, Will? Well, we're going to look at season two of The Awful Truth, probably the first four episodes again. Uh, and the reason we're doing two weeks is because uh, season two focuses on the 2000 election, and we think we might be able to get a few more drops of blood from the stone. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm really looking forward to it, and we're going to follow that up. I'm not. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was being ironic. I was, that yeah. was affected, just like Michael Moore in the 90s. Oh, um, but, you know, I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, and of course, we're going to finish it off with Where to Invade Next. Hell yeah. Which, you know, uh, of course, is a great film. And, of course, we'll get, uh, yeah, baby. We'll get into that later. But uh, until next time, I was Luke Savage. And I was Will Sloan. Have fun. <laughs> And now watch this drive. Now watch this drive. <laughs> Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Tis the season to be jolly. Don we now our gay apparel. Oh, the ancient moon-tied carol.